Let's pray and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this time together this morning. Father, I thank you that as I speak, it's not my words, but your words, Father, that you speak through me. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. I don't know if you're like me, uh, but a lot of times uh, I want to take the easy way out. I want to take the path of least resistance. I want the easiest path possible. Um, I, I, I don't know, you may not feel like that, you may be different in your life, but I know a lot of times in my life I'm looking for the easiest way to get something done. Uh, I'm sure everybody in the room has heard this, but water always takes the path of least resistance. Water, or a waterfall or a creek, uh, if it could cut its trip in half by going uphill, it's not going to do it. It's going to go around and take the path of least resistance. And so many times in our lives, we take this same approach. Now think about your relationships. Okay, think about your marriage. Think about if you approach your marriage with, I'm going to take the path of least resistance, I'm going to go the easiest path I can, you're not going to have a good marriage, right? That's going to be detrimental to your marriage. You think about parenting. If you decide we're going to take the path of least resistance, uh, your kids are going to be horrible, right? Because uh, we can't take the easy route when parenting. We have to step up and we have to work hard at it. You think about friendships, Okay, if you're a friend, you think I'm just going to take the path of least resistance. I'm going to let them do everything. You know, I'm just going to kind of let it go. We're just going to let things happen, right? Uh, it never works out. Probably everybody in the room has either been this friend or you've been in a relationship with this friend where you put in all the work. You you know, you're always calling. You're always trying to set something up. You're always trying to get them to do something, and and they're never reaching out to you. They're never calling you. And then finally, you're like, forget this. I'm done trying. Right? We've all been in these. Because because a lot of times we can take the path of least resistance. And what happens as a Christian is we can take this approach to God. I want to take the path of least resistance with God. I want to do as little as possible, right? For a lot of us, uh, and I don't mean this wrong at all, but our big achievement is I went to church. Our big achievement of the week is, is I, I went to church. And, and, and that is amazing. It's great to be in church and you need to be in church. But a lot of times what, what that is, is that's just kind of the, the, the last thing we do or the only thing we're doing. And we take this path of least resistance to God. Now, what we're talking about this morning is, is God's will. And we've been talking about this for two, this is week two. If you haven't listened to part one of this message, I encourage you to go to tcf.church and listen to that. And when we're seeking God's will, a lot of times we want to take the path of least resistance. We want God to just, hey, God, just tell me, just give it to me, just tell me what to do, what I'm supposed to be doing, what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. I, I have been at many crossroads in my life where I thought, God, I wish you'd just tell me what to do, and I would do it. And we kind of approach it with this path of least resistance. And what we're going to talk about this morning is how to discover God's will. Last week, we talked about how God reveals his will, and today we're going to talk about how do you discover God's will. Sorry, wheel, discover, wheel. A lot of times, uh, God is going to do that uh, through his word. One of the main ways he does that is through his word. Now, in the Old Testament, they had priests, and they had a really weird way of discovering God's will. It was this really interesting and nutty way. So let me, let me read you Exodus 28, verse 30. It says, also put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastpiece uh, so, so they may be over Aaron's heart. Aaron was Moses' brother. 
So this is Exodus, obviously, while they're coming out of uh, Egypt and they're out in the desert and Aaron becomes the first priest. Uh, Put it over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus, Aaron will also bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. Now, uh, Adrian, if you could put up that picture of our, our priest, this is most likely what a Jewish priest would have looked like. This is how Aaron would have dressed. You don't have to read all the text. I know I, if you can read that, you have amazing eyesight, but uh, you don't, don't worry about that. What you can see uh, as we zoomed in on the right is his breast piece with all of the different colored stones. Now, if you're a Marvel fan, that looks a little bit like an infinity gauntlet to me, um, But what they would do is they would have these two possibly stones. We don't know that they were stones, possible stones, Urim and Thummim. They could have been like sticks or dice, and they put them in a bag, and he would wear them over his heart behind that breast piece. And then what would happen is, is that a king like Saul could come in, and he could tell the priest, hey, should we go to war against the Philistines? And he would take that out, and he would pull out a stone. If he pulled out a white stone, he would say, yes, you should. God says go. If he pulls out the black stone, he would say, no, God says don't go. Now, think how cool it would be if like before church, pastor's back here in this room and he's got these two magic stones and you can go in and say, hey, hey, we're looking to buy a house. What should we do? I pulled out the black stone. God says no, right? You know, and and then he's like, where's my $50, right? And we can be a little side business, right? And yeah, and and so then, then they would go in and they would seek the priest for an answer. And he would pull out these stones and he would give an answer. Now, I don't know about you, but me, I think that would be so nice if that's how it worked. And I didn't have to do all this like praying, listening, trying to see what God wants and, and, and all that. I could just get a stone of a yes or no. And that's the path of least resistance. And so I want to show you one more verse about, about the Urim and Thummim. And we're going to go to 1 Samuel 28. So we're jumping way ahead in the story of Israel, and Saul is king. So 1 Samuel 28, verse 4 says, The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, uh, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid terror filled his heart. Verse 6, he inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or the prophets. So he did not get an answer. So here's the thing. These stones somehow didn't always work. I don't know if the priest reached in and was like, oh, darn it, I grabbed both of them. I don't know if it's yes or no. I don't know if it was like dice that they rolled, and it's like, well, you got a black and a white. I I don't know what you should do. But Saul inquires of God, and he doesn't get an answer. The, the, The path of least resistance didn't work. Now, of course, those two things uh, Urim and Thummim, which makes me think of uh, Uma Thurman, but uh, those would be really nice and easy. Why? Because I don't have to do anything. I just show up, I ask, I get an answer. And I don't have to do anything about it. And what did we learn last week that one of God's main avenues for revealing his will is his word. Romans 12, two says, do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
In Ephesians, Paul is talking about marriage, and he says, and he's relating it back to Christ, you know, and, and God and the church and how the church is the bride of Christ, and how that God was going to use the washing of water by the word to cleanse her. And so what we have to do is in Romans 12 is I can't conform to the ways of the world. I can't think the way the world thinks and act the way the world acts. I have to cleanse my mind. I do that by reading my Bible because it says in Ephesians that God will use the word like water over your mind to cleanse you. Now, you, you think about all this and it gets a lot more complicated. There's a lot more put on me uh, than just going to Uma Thurman and trying to get an answer from her, right? And so God reveals his will in his word, right? And, and that is how we begin to discover it. Now, you have to understand that God has a universal will and a personal will, okay? Universal will is what God wants for all. The word of God, the Bible, is filled with his universal will, how I want you to live, how I want you to act, how I want you to treat other people, how you're supposed to be treated, right? What you should do with your money, how you should be married, how you should parent. All of this stuff is his universal will. I'm not gonna turn to the book of Matthew and it say, Kurt, tomorrow you should not take your car and leave 10 minutes late because you could be in a wreck, right? I'm not gonna find that. But what I am gonna find is God's universal will in his word. And listen, if I wanna discover and walk in God's personal will for my life, I have to first walk in his universal will. That's just step one of the process. As I walk in his universal will, the will of God, of what he tells me, then he begins to reveal to me his personal will. Now, we're going to slam through about four verses, and I've just pulled these out because they talk about God's will. This is examples of his universal will. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I'm supposed to give thanks. First Peter uh, 2.15 says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So as I do good, I silence the talk of ignorant and foolish people. First Thessalonians 4.3 says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified. We talked about sanctification a few months ago, how God is changing you, and it's God's will that you be sanctified, that you be set apart, that you be made holy. And says that you should avoid sexual immorality. Verse 4 says that each of you should learn to control your own body in the way that is holy and honorable. So we've got to be walking in this. We have to be walking in, in God's universal will so that he can begin to reveal his personal will for my life. And these are just those first steps. Psalms 143.10, David's writing, and he says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Teach me to do your will. So David understood that God's will could be taught and that he needed God to teach it to him by God's spirit. By the Holy Spirit, God would teach his will and he would lead him on level ground. Now, now think about how God himself can teach you his will. And you can learn it by the Holy Spirit. His, his will is taught. Now, here's the contrast. The Old Testament, the priest had the Urim and Thummim, right? The two stones that they could draw out of a bag and they could get an answer. 
after Jesus comes to earth, he dies on the cross, God says, I wanna do things different. God says uh, in Exodus over the people of Israel, you are a royal priesthood. Israel was a nation of priests to the world. Okay, and so the same thing happens to you and I. Now, we're not Jewish, we're Gentiles, but because of the blood of Jesus, we're adopted into God's family. And because of that, I am now a royal priest. So God doesn't give me Urim and Thummim. What did God say? God said, I'm gonna give them my spirit. I'm gonna give them the Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna, I could show you, and we're gonna get into this more next week, but the Holy Spirit now dwells on the inside of you. The Spirit of God. Now, here's what you have to understand about God. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are all one God. We do not serve or worship three gods. They are all one God. It's called monotheism. We don't serve multiple gods, okay? You can't say, well, hey, man, my favorite of the gods is Jesus. I really connect with that dude. But the other two guys are kind of weird, and I don't really connect with them. Uh, years ago, I, I taught on prayer one time, and I, I was talking about praying to Jesus and praying in the name of Jesus. And I had a, a gentleman come up to me after service, and he said, hey, hey, I really, when I pray, I like to pray to God. I, and I pray to God, and I don't pray in the name of Jesus, and I'm like, well, you, you know, you, you can't do that. You can't pray to one and not the other. I can't single them out and say, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve this one, not the other. Here's the thing about the Trinity is it's very hard to explain. We can't understand it. If we could understand it, he wouldn't be God. Okay, and so I can't try to explain. And any explanation I try to give on the Trinity is just gonna be uh, an ignorant attempt on my part to try to explain something I can't comprehend. Okay, but what do, I, what do I want you to understand out of this is that they're all God. They're all God, but they're in three parts. Okay, the best example of this is while Jesus is on the earth, he goes to John the Baptist to get baptized. Jesus walks out of the water and tells John to baptize him. He baptizes him as he comes up. Jesus, the son, is standing in the water. It says the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and God speaks from heaven. So we see them in their three parts parts, okay? And then the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of you. And so I don't have Urim and Thummim anymore. What I have is, is I have the Holy Spirit. I want to show you John 16, verse 7. This is in the Amplified Version of the Bible, and Jesus is speaking. He says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, and standby will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you to be in close fellowship with you. And this verse has always shocked me. It's always blown my mind that Jesus would say, it's better that I go so I can send the Holy Spirit. And you think like, well, well, Jesus said, I mean, think if Jesus was on the earth today and he's like 2,023 years old, Right? And uh, he lives in Jerusalem. He's got a big house on a lake. I don't know, Jesus would probably live on a lake. He's got a big house on a lake. He, you know, he's got a ministry, you know, Jesus Incorporated. And, you know, we're all, you know, we're all next year. We're taking a trip to, you know, to Jerusalem. And we're going to go to Jesus's church. And we're going to go hear him preach. And he would come to the States, you know, like every five years or something. And we'd all be driving to some huge coliseum or huge field or, or some huge venue where we, we're going to go hear Jesus. And we would take the 
sick and the lame and the blind and the dead. And, and we, we, we would take all these people with us for him to heal and do miracles. But then he says, hey, guys, no, it's better that I go so that I can send you the Holy Spirit. So I can send you the Holy Spirit. Think about one of the most controversial things amongst the church. Every denomination is the Holy Spirit. Not Mary, not the virgin birth, uh, not the miracles of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit. The devil attacks the Holy Spirit probably more than any other theological thing in the Bible. I could get every pastor in this town together and everyone would have a different explanation of the Holy Spirit. Probably everyone would believe in the Holy Spirit. No one would deny the existence of the Holy Spirit, but we would all have different thoughts about it. So based on your raising, based on your background, you may have a really good view of the Holy Spirit. You may be terrified of the Holy Spirit. You may have seen crazy things in church as a kid, and you think, I want nothing to do with that. You know, maybe your grandma would lock you in the room and pray in tongues over you, and you're like scared to death of the Holy Spirit, right? And you're like, man, I like this God and Jesus guy, but crazy uncle Holy Spirit, uh, I don't want none of that because he's kind of nuts. You never know what he's going to do. He'll blow up and start talking gibberish and running around the room, and it just it terrifies me. Okay, but listen, that is not the Holy Spirit. Okay, and if you really want to be terrified, when you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's like, oh, no, he's already in there, right? Go home and take a shower. I didn't know this, right? But he's already in there. Let me show you who the Holy Spirit is. John 14, 25 says, Jesus is speaking, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your heart be troubled, uh, neither let them be afraid." So it says that the Holy Spirit is a teacher, that he's gonna teach you all things. He's gonna bring to your remembrance what Jesus has spoken. And then he dwells on the inside of you. The verse we just read in Psalms 143, David says, God, teach me your will. God, teach me your will. And the Holy Spirit says that he will teach you all things. So God, teach me your will by your Holy Spirit. So when I get my Bible out and I'm gonna read my Bible because I want to wash and cleanse my mind and my brain and all the junk because I'm conforming to the ways of the world, I'm beginning to be concerned with the world. When I sit down and read that book, I have to say, Holy Spirit, I need you to show me. I need you to teach me. Show me what I need to see and show me what, and take away what I don't need to see. Reveal to me the things I need and hide from me the things I don't need. Because what we learned last week, the Bible is very complex. It's very complicated. It is not an easy book. It was written over thousands of years by, by many different authors, from Jewish poets to, uh, I mean, you're reading an ancient Hebrew text when you get into the Old Testament. Right, and, and we attempt to read this, but what do we have? We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us who can teach us, guide us, and direct us. Let's look at John 16, 12 uh, through 14. Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Think about that statement that Jesus is with his disciples and he says, guys, I got a lot more I wanna say, but you can't stand it if I told you. 
right? And so verse 13, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and what, uh, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. If you ever read the New Testament and you see the disciples and you think, man, they do a lot of dumb stuff, okay? They say a lot of dumb stuff, okay? Well, you've watched the whole movie and they're in the middle of it. They didn't know what was to come, right? And, and what, because what did Jesus say? He said, he will guide you into all truth. Hey, I got a lot more I wanna tell you, but I can't because you wouldn't understand it and freak you out and it'd terrify you. But the Holy Spirit's gonna come. You have the Holy Spirit. When you read it, you think, why didn't they just get that Jesus was talking about this? You kind of know the end of the story. You know how things were going. I can't stand it when pastors are hard on Peter. Man, Peter was an idiot. He always had his foot in his mouth. He didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. Pentecost hadn't happened. He had no revelation. He could not understand the resurrection of Jesus. Do you know why that they would have never stole his body and hid it to, to say that he was raised from the dead? Because they had no revelation of it. They couldn't comprehend it. They couldn't understand that he was gonna die and three days later he was gonna get up. You know why they didn't understand it and didn't believe him? Because when he did it, they were fishing. You know what I would have been doing? I'd have been sitting there the third day with my popcorn. All right, here we are. Let's get ready. He's coming out. But nobody was there. You know, and Mary and them, they go. And what did they do? They went to prepare his dead body. They should have brought a quarter pounder with cheese. Say, so he's going to be hungry. Dude's been dead for three days. Why would they had no revelation? Because they did not have the Holy Spirit yet. Listen, the Holy Spirit will teach you, guide you into truth, not only when you read your Bible, but every day of your life. Every day of your life. So many times, you know, we sum up Christianity into this 20-minute segment of time in the morning or at night where I read my little verse of the day and I say, hey, God, thanks for being there today. I didn't really see you much, but I, thanks anyway. You know, and, and we, we think that that's, that's it. Well, I did my devotions. I had my prayer time. And there's so much more than that. Listen, why are we here today? We are here to be filled up by the Holy Spirit. See, sometimes you get in service, and this doesn't happen every time, okay? Nothing's wrong with you if it doesn't happen. But a lot of times you can get into worship, and you can feel emotional. You can feel like you might want to cry. And you think, I don't even like this song, right? I don't even know why I'm crying. That's the Holy Spirit. That's God moving on your heart and working on you. We see it happen at Men's Retreat. We see it happen at camp, at Power Kids, Ground Zero. The Spirit of God, church on Thursday, church on Sunday, the Spirit of God shows up. The Bible says that where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, that he is in their midst. The Spirit of God is in the middle of us. We do this to get filled up so we can go out. They crucified Jesus for the work he did outside the church. Listen to me, they crucified Jesus for the work he did outside the church. 
They weren't mad that he read in the synagogues. They weren't mad that he did stuff in the synagogues. But when he ate with sinners, when he healed the sick on the Sabbath, when he hung out with tax collectors who were the scum of the earth, when he ran around with 12 guys and a prostitute, they decided we have to kill him. Because we're supposed to be doing stuff outside this building, not just in this building. This is to encourage, build up, strengthen, and then go out. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you that when we received Jesus, when we confessed and believed that you were the Son of God, that you died on the cross and rose from the dead, that, that your Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of us. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Father, and I thank you that we walk in that. Holy Spirit, that you reveal, you teach us, you guide us into all truth. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you comfort us. You're an advocate for us, an intercessor, a counselor, a strengthener to our inner man, to our souls and to our bodies. Father, I thank you that we are filled up in this place this morning and that we would take that infilling out into our world and into our lives and that we would share the same grace and mercy that we have received. And Father, through our kindness, others would be led to repentance. Through our kindness, others would be led to repentance. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen.